Welcome everybody to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Today I have with me Gillian Augustine, who is a data scientist at Mondi. She's also a speaker at We Are Developers, um, Women in Data Science, and also Big Data London. Welcome, Gillian. Hi. Hey. So nice to have you with me, Gillian. I would like our listeners, viewers to get to know you a little bit better. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so my name is Gillian. I'm from the UK. So um, I've been in, I've been living in Vienna since 2013. Um, I'm from the UK um, and my family is originally from Grenada in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, so pretty international um, journey to here. Um, and um, yeah, I've, I've been working in data science now for um, since 2018, um, and is is currently pretty fun. Uh, you have a very international background, as you said. What made you move to Austria? Sure. So um, I actually I did my PhD at the Vienna Bio Center. So my PhD was in molecular biology, um, and the Vienna Bio Center is a really good PhD program. So this was the main reason that I moved. Um, that I moved to Vienna. I was previously in Canada as well, briefly. So I studied at McGill University for my um, a part of my undergrad um, as well. But um, after being at McGill um, in Montreal for one year, which is great and it's a great city, I decided this time I would probably stay in Europe because everything's a bit closer together. I think it's so cool that you say that the uh, program at the BioCenter is such a good one that you actually heard about it in the UK, which you know, I'm a bit stoked about that because I myself, I have a PhD from the University of Vienna in chemistry and my uh, major was biochemistry. I did then uh, do my PhD in theoretical chemistry, but still I spend a lot of time there. So I'm glad that the reputation of the Institute is still there. My bachelor's was actually in biochemistry, so I see myself more as a biochemist than a biologist, but um, it's kind of in the middle. That's such an interesting coincidence because there aren't actually that many people with a background like ours in, in IT. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, so cool. So which me this means that you were actually a natural scientist be before you became a woman in IT. Tell me a little bit about your educational background. What schools did you go to? Why did you choose this path? What did you find interesting? So um, my path is a bit, um, I would call it a zigzag almost. So if I, I think back to when I first went to university 2007, I actually started studying dietetics, which is similar to medical nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, during this course, there were some biochemistry courses, and I found that I actually liked the biochemistry courses more than the other ones. Mm -hmm. um, so my first university was Coventry University in the UK, and then I went to Leeds University to study biochemistry. Mm -hmm. And then after a couple of years, I had the opportunity to study abroad, so I spent a whole year in, at McGill University in Canada, which was a great experience. and really made me want to um, to stay abroad. 
-hmm. And um, so there I focus mainly on biology, developmental biology, and also um, a bit of French as well. Why not? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, after, so I, I found out about developmental biology when I was there. I really found it interesting. So I, so after I finished my bachelor's degree in Leeds, I decided to start a PhD at the Vienna Biocenter. So I initially started um, in a group which studied developmental biology because it is such a fascinating field. But then this didn't turn out really to be the best match for me. So then I changed and I decided to go back towards biochemistry. Um, so I started my PhD again, um, just one year later. And um, yeah, that was in a more biochemical focus, looking at um, the interactions of different proteins in the cell during different conditions. Um, mm. And during that time, I, I had some introductory courses to R. And um, when I think about how I got into data science, um, during my PhD, I, I must say, I watched a lot of really bad presentations. So ones where maybe someone says, oh, you can clearly see this, but the whole audience is completely lost. So I became really, really enthusiastic about doing good data visualizations and telling stories um, using data in a really good way. So in a really clear way, in an understandable way. Um, and then I think pretty much from there, this was this was kind of the bridge to data science because my my passion really lies in telling stories with data and learning from data and finding out what data can tell us. This is wonderful because um, I feel this deeply bad presentations and you know um, information being conveyed in a way that nobody can actually use it is a big problem in science. And uh, I love that you took this approach and that made you look at uh, how to visualize data. I think this is a big uh, thing. Data is not information, I think. It's just data. And what you do with it makes it information. So I, I understand that this is what fascinates you, making um, data accessible and turning it into information. So when you became a data scientist, um, what was your first step after you, um, you did your PhD? Yeah, so I was, I was very fortunate to, um, I applied to the A1 graduate scheme mm -hmm. and I was fortunate enough to get a, a place there. So I became an A1 graduate in AI and data analytics. Mm -hmm. And this fit because throughout my PhD and also before that, I, I had been doing data analysis on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So this really, um, this, um, this graduate program really allowed me to gain a better knowledge of business. So what all the different um, abbreviations mean, what is important for stakeholders mm -hmm. and to understand how, how data analytics fits into the wider scheme of the business. I was not aware that A1 had a graduate program. That's such a cool thing. We have one at VMware too, and I feel that um, this is such a good way to uh, move into the workplace from, from education. Um, what exactly, what kind of data um, does, or did you work with at A1? Was it more in terms of marketing or was it more in product development or what, what was the background? Um, so there were two main, um two main projects which I worked on. 
The first one looked at um, understanding customer satisfaction. So um, one um, widely used metric is the net promoter score. So if you ever get a recommendation after you, you use a service saying, how likely are you to recommend this to somebody else? This is this, is this score. Um, so one, uh, one main project that I was working on looked at the data from different, um, from many different customers and tried to understand what are the drivers for someone being likely to recommend the service or not. Mm -hmm. And the second, um, the second one that I looked at was more um, on the, so not on the customer facing side, although it did have effects naturally for the customers, which was looking at the networks. Um, so trying to predict the outages of um, different parts of the network and trying to, um, that was in, only in the initial stages, but trying to set things up so that conclusions could be made in the future in terms of when is a breakage of a cable likely to happen? Where is it likely to happen? Um, and that was all in the context of then allowing, um, allowing the cables to get repaired as soon as possible if you have an idea of where issues might come up. Okay. That sounds so interesting. Um, did you also include data from sensors in, in the network or did you just uh, take the data of outages and then cable breakages from the historic data? So in this case, it was it was just um, looking at the outages and looking at um, where they were happening. Uh, when you compare your work with data in the academic space and in A1, was there a difference in, in the way you data was approached? I think that in the academic space, data is, so in the STEM space at least, mm -hmm. data is way more valued. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of the, you, you work to let the data speak for itself. Mm -hmm. And what, what the data says is the truth. Um, and you make decisions based on the data. Okay. Um, whereas I feel um, in, the, in the corporate space or in the private sector, there are way more influencing factors which come into play and way more things that you have to take into consideration mm -hmm. before you make a decision. So I, I would say um, in academia, the decisions are more data-driven than in the corporate world. Yeah, I understand. So um, I feel that that science is more uh, occupied with going where the data leads you and corporate space might be more, give me the data that I need to do what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. although even, even mm -hmm. in academia, it, it can be unfortunate. And I, I think it's kind of a reflection of the circumstances. Um, it, sometimes you, it's known that people can pick and choose the data that they want to support their theories. But generally, I think overall, there is, um, there is uh, a much better appreciation for the value of data inherently. I want to make a little bit of a step back. So I was wondering if you have a family with a background in STEM, did they support you? What do you, do you have brothers and sisters maybe who do something similar or not? Um, so my sister is an optometrist, so this is also um, science related. And my um, mum my was a dental nurse and then a, a health service manager. So again, in the medical field. So we've always kind of been on, on this side of, um, um, yeah, on this side of the balance, I would say. 
and and obviously since your mother was also in that she wasn't surprised when you chose the career because you know I've talked to other women where the family was surprised by the choice of, of copy but I guess that was not the case in your um I would say um because I initially started with dietetics which is very medical mm -hmm. um because I think that was kind of um what what was known to me Mm -hmm. So, um, kind of when you think of the careers that you can go for, anything in a hospital, I pretty knew was, mm -hmm. I, I pretty much knew was was accessible. Also because um, I lived pretty close to the hospital, and and my mom worked there, so I spent a lot of time just in the offices of the hospital. Yeah. Um, but it, I think after after dietetics and then when I switched to biochemistry I think biochemistry is different because it's not related to a profession and I do think I was one of the first people I know to do some sort of education which was not specifically related to a profession mm -hmm. um so I think um my family and when I think of my family I think of like extended family aunts uncles um godparents and so um they kind of check in to see if, if I'm okay, if I, if everything's going okay. Um, but I wouldn't say they really know what I'm I'm doing, but they they as long as I say I'm okay, then it's fine for them. <laughs> uh you touched on two really different things, uh see and very interesting things here, because um one is you said that was a role that was known to you you know nutritionist and i think that's a very important thing to look at uh, what kind of um roles are available to us as women or as even as men you know there's this this kind of occupations we know and then there's all this this entire field where we have never met anyone seen anyone do it and i think that's a big issue because we might have talents that are in a completely different field but um, I was thinking about this recently because I was writing a, a short article and I remembered what Hannibal Lecter said in the silence of the lambs. And when he said, how do we begin to covet? We covet what we see, you know? So yeah, and I think this is a big thing and, and something I think we might touch on when we look at the education of, of women, children, what kind of roles we we offer to them, what we show them, what they can do. And the other thing is, um, I'm not sure if it's related to your Caribbean background, but for my family, since my I grew up in Africa and my father is from Nigeria, it was they also had this this thing about um, jobs with uh, educations with clear outcomes, like doctor, yeah. lawyer. You know, those are the things you would do. And I do feel that my father always wondered what biochemistry actually was. And now that I'm in IT, he doesn't really know what I'm doing. So yeah, <laughs> so pretty much really same. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, interesting point around um, being a role model. How did you experience being a woman in, in IT? Um, especially since it's also not only a woman in IT, you also went to a strange country. And then how, how is this for you? In terms of like generally when we think about role models, we are thinking about people who are like us, who have done what we, we want to do and then we can kind of follow in their footsteps. Um, in that sense, I, I don't have anybody 
who is my um, role model. I mean, there are many people who I aspire to in, in various different ways, um, definitely. And there are many people who I, I can kind of look up to and think I want to do what they are doing. Um, but it's, it's very intangible still. So I still feel I'm kind of the first one going the steps and, and seeing what happens. Mm -hmm. I, I can imagine and um, which gives you the opportunity to be a role model for others who come after you, which is cool also, um, but it's always more difficult being the first and I think it takes a certain kind of character to, to actually do that, a strong one and very centered because um, you have to be very clear in what you actually want to achieve, which brings me to my next question. What kind of goals do you have? I mean, you enjoy working with data, obviously, but do you have anything in terms of career path that you have as a goal? Um, now I kind of, um, I kind of have a rule to myself, which is to create a plan, but don't expect things to go to plan. <laughs> um, and I think it's because, um, up until my so in my bachelor's and even before when I was at um, college and school kind of if you work hard then then you get good results coming out um, and then it's, it's quite easy to have a, a plan of I will do this and then do this and do this um, but then I think um, when I had to restart my PhD um here then I realized like you can be you can be really good at what you're doing but sometimes things just don't go to plan mm -hmm. and then this is why now I I my goal is to keep enjoying what I'm doing I would mm -hmm. say so my goal at the moment I I've been working I've been focusing my efforts on visualization for and data analytics in terms of coding and this kind of thing. I've been focusing on this for at least four years and I'm still really enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. um, so this is kind of my goal. Um, mm -hmm. But I know I have a, a range of skills. So not only on the coding side and going towards the software development side, but also on the communication side and and creating links between businesses and more technical people who maybe um cannot express what they want to say so so well so i i feel like i have a range of tools on my belt mm -hmm. and at the moment i'm i'm focusing more on developing my software development skills um because this is where my interest lies right now but i don't necessarily have an, an aim mm -hmm. I just want to keep enjoying what I'm doing that's cool um and I think that's an important part I mean a job like like yours means that you have to stay on top of the technology and the developments and in the field and all that and that is easier if you actually enjoy what you're doing so passion and enthusiasm for what you do is is a big thing I feel right yeah definitely um, yeah so in terms of work environment, um, I since this is women in technology, um, do you have a lot of women you work with or is it more men? What What's it like? So in our team at the moment, we're split into project managers and then data scientists. Mm -hmm. And I would say um, on the project management side, it's a, 
strongly women. Mm-hmm. And I would say on the data scientist side, it's strongly men. So for the first year, no, not first year, for the first six months when I was working in my current position, I was the only woman in a data science role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my my colleague Yelena Milosevic joined and that was very nice. Um, <laughs> even though we don't work together, but it was still it was still nice. Um, and also my boss is a woman as well, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it, and she's also a very technical person as well. So I, even though on a daily basis, I never work with technical women, really. Um, it, it's nice to know that they are there because I think the diversity in teams like this is important. Mm-hmm. I tend to agree, but I would like to ask what, why did you feel that it is nice for her to come on board? What, what difference did you feel? Um, I think um, when I think when a team is too homogenous, um, then um, some some ways can some ways or beings can be a bit exclusive rather than inclusive. So I think the more that there are different, there are clearly different groups of people together, the more um, the more inclusive it can be. And this also goes in the sense um, of in our team, we have some people who are more chatty and then some people who are more quiet or prefer to work by themselves. And I, I think like if you were, if it were 90% chatty, then the quiet person would not feel so included. If it were 90% quiet, then the chatty person would not feel so included. So I think having having this um, diversity really allows each um, each group of people to feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. That is a very good insight. It's not about having someone who is completely like you, it's about having many different people so everyone can be them, so themselves. Yeah, you put it in English. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I feel that you're also doing a lot to make uh, IT more diverse by giving all these talks that, for example, for women uh, are developed, female developers or what? I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the group, but women in data science and and we are developers, sorry. And and it's like that. Um, What made you start doing these things? I think I like during my phd time we we had this thing called um uh, monday seminar where once a year you would have to present your results to the rest of the campus and then this really um gave me practice in presenting things and telling stories and and, um i suppose because i because i've been in the audience so many times and really just being completely lost. And um, so it's really important for me that presentations are, are good um, are good, and they are understandable. So um, this is why I also like to do them because I think it's important that people can um, understand what's being said. And also I think sometimes if there is a complicated presentation, sometimes people think, so a person in the audience might think that they are too stupid to understand what's what the topic is, and it, it's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the responsibility of the person presenting to make sure that um, their message is clear and um, 
and I think I have presented in the past when you see people it's really nice to see when people get it whilst you're presenting they understand what you're talking about and then I also so get good feedback afterwards because people say that they really liked how I did this thing or I made it understandable and they never realized that two things were linked in the way that I explained them um, and and I think getting good feedback from people is kind of um, always a good motivation to continue. Yeah. I love how you talked about that it's um, the responsibility of the presenter to make people understand what you're talking about. And I also feel it's so important because what you have um, observed, I've also seen, you know, people obviously don't know what you're talking about, but they don't ask because the problem is aggravated because nobody seems to really understand, but nobody wants to be the first to ask a question. So you have these bad presentations and you have the audience that just sits there and stares at you. And um, yeah, this is something we definitely need to address. And I think um, what you do also helps um, people feel more comfortable with actually being in that field because they, you know, this moment where you understand something is the moment where you feel you can do it too, you know. So yeah, thank you for, for looking at this, this issue. Um, so you had a kind of uncommon path into IT, being a natural scientist and, and then moving into IT. But if you were a young woman and you were starting out now to, to get um, on this career journey, what would you want? To, what would you have wanted to know at the beginning, or what recommendations would you give to a young woman starting out or a girl in school? This is interesting. Um, so one thing you mentioned a girl in school, and, and that reminds me of kind of a reason I think my path was a bit like not direct and zigzag because in the UK you can you choose you study 11 subjects up until the age of 16 and then you only study four from 16 to 18 mm -hmm. and then um, and then at university you generally just study one and um, what's more the 11 subjects that you choose to finish when you are 16 you choose them when you're 13 so there is really really narrow in terms of what you can study um um because yeah pretty much if you don't study if you don't choose to study geography when you are 13 years old you cannot study it at university which is crazy because you're 13 years old how do you know mm -hmm. um so um one one interesting thing when I was thinking about um, what I chose to study is that I, when I was 13, I chose to study French. And then when I was um, 16, I chose to continue studying French. And then actually I ended up in Montreal where my French got really good. And then it was the first time I was actually in France, which was after I was in Montreal because I'd never been to France before. Um, but I just think, and I just say that because I, I studied French because I liked it, mm -hmm. not because I was the best at it, but because I liked it. And, and that kind of led me to Montreal and then kind of led me where I am now. So I really, I really think you should study what you want to study. Mm -hmm. You study not, 
it's not always about studying what you are the best at, but study what is fun. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Um, and um, yeah, and I, I think I was very fortunate looking back because I didn't have anybody who directly told me to my face that I couldn't do something. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that representation isn't important because I never aspired to be many things because I just didn't know they existed. But I was very fortunate that I didn't have people around me who were too insecure in themselves and then decided to try and limit my possibilities because of mm -hmm. this. Um, but I think now in in the digital age, so that there is a lot more, so many more resources on the internet and so many websites you can read that people where people create blogs and stuff like this i would definitely give the advice to a younger person that um if you want to do something um you can look into it you can find the people online you can find the websites online to to learn different things and to know to learn different tips and i think that's definitely um, the way to go is to do what is is fun and do what you want. Yeah. Very true. Thank you. You touched on on one very specific thing in the beginning, which I also find um, detrimental uh, to to young people is limiting, you know, their exposure to certain topics and, and information. So I feel one thing we should look at, and that's obviously not ours uh, thing to do, but definitely the education system should be as broad as possible. So everybody gets a chance to, to dabble in different topics and look at them because obviously 13 years is much too young to actually decide whether you will like something in the future or not. I actually, I when I was 13, I, I chose German. Mm -hmm. I, I chose, I think I chose French, no. When I was 12, I could choose between German and Spanish and I chose German because then I got to visit Germany. And then when I was 13, I decided to go for French, but now I'm fluent in both. So um, it worked its way out. Yeah, luckily. <laughs> yeah. But you never know, right? Uh, where life will take you if it will exactly. be German or French or something completely different that will be useful, you know. And then the second thing that makes me thoughtful is that you said you were lucky because nobody discouraged you from doing what you're doing. And the same is true for me. And that is probably the reason why I was able to go the path I did. But that's a sad thing, actually, you know, that you have to be happy that at least nobody said, don't do it. You're not good enough. <laughs> yeah. when you didn't and you did, don't have the role models and you don't have the, you know, the, the lift that you might need to go places I, I think that's something we can do for others you know telling them that they are definitely good you know, good enough uh, to choose a career in IT or in science and they will make it so that's something I I feel we should all try to do and thank you for coming on my interview thank you for taking the time it was lovely chatting with you thank you and goodbye thank you bye